Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. I'm Joshua. We love scary old-time radio stories. There's nothing quite like a disembodied voice telling a genuinely disturbing tale. But do these stories stand the test of time, or are we being deceived by nostalgia? Are they suspenseful or forgettable? Bone-chilling or butt-numbing? That's what we're here to find out. This week is my pick, and we're listening to Carmilla from the Columbia Workshop. The novella Camilla was written in 1871 by Sheridan Le Fanu, who was an Irish writer who attended the same school as Oscar Wilde and James Joyce, which is Trinity College in Dublin, but his work is a little less well-known, with the exception of Carmilla. Carmilla influenced Bram Stoker when he wrote Dracula. Carmilla was first published in The Dark Blue, which was a London-based literary magazine published monthly from 1871 to 1873. In the novella, it features the character of Dr. Hesselius, an occult detective who also makes an appearance in the Hall of Fantasy radio show in the episode The Shadow People that we featured on the podcast a while back. The Columbia Workshop was a radio series that aired on the Columbia Broadcasting System from 1936 to 1943, and again from 1946 to 1947. The Columbia Workshop gave authors, directors, sound engineers, and composers the freedom to experiment. Lucille Fletcher, author of the famous suspense story Sorry Wrong Number, adapted Carmilla for the Columbia Workshop, relocating the story to contemporary New York State. Now, there are some occasional sound issues in this surviving recording, but we ask you to be patient. We think it's worth it. And now, Carmilla, from the Columbia Workshop, originally broadcast July 28, 1940. Forget the petty distractions around you. Forget what you think you know. Forget everything but what you hear right now. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music. And listen to the voices. The Columbia Workshop presents Carmilla from a story by Sheridan Lafanu, adapted by Lucille Fletcher. Workshop audiences will recall Miss Fletcher as the author of the workshop's recent comedy success, My Client Curly. In her adaptation tonight, she works in a new vein. Lafanu's Carmilla was a favorite horror story of mid-19th century England. Miss Fletcher's adaptation brings his story up to date with a modern setting. And here is Sheridan Lefanu's Carmilla. Dr. Witherspoon speaking. Is this the Reverend Witherspoon? Yes. Uh, this is J.S. Dodge. Do you remember me, Dr. Witherspoon? I... I have the big place on Maple Hill. Oh, yes, Mr. Dodge. I remember you. I'm in trouble, Dr. Witherspoon. Can you come over to my house at once? Why, of course. Thank you. It's a matter of life and death. Dr. Witherspoon, my daughter Helen is dying. Oh, I'm sorry. You must help me save her life. Only God can do that, Mr. Dodge. And we'll talk about that later. Come. She's in her bedroom here. 
It's time, Mrs. Rod. The Dr. Witherspoon. Yes, sir. Ellen. Mm-hmm. Ellen, it's Papa. Is Carmilla with you? Here's the minister, Helen. You remember Dr. Oh, Witherspoon. Aunt Carmilla. Why don't they send Camilla to me? Well, what have you done to her? Please. Oh, dear, lie down. She's been like that for hours, Dr. Witherspoon. Can't the doctors do anything? The doctors are fools. Uh, Mr. Dutch, who is this person your daughter keeps calling for? This uh, Carmilla? I'll tell you everything in a moment. But first, Dr. Witherspoon, there's something I must check. You are an antiquarian, aren't you? Yes, in a small way. I've written some pamphlets for the New England Historical Society on old... That's all I wanted to know. Sit down, please. Before I tell you my story, I want you to look at me. Do I seem normal to you or insane? Why, uh, you seem rather overwrought, sir. But I would say quite sane. Then perhaps you will believe me. My story, I think, begins two months ago. On a warm night in June, when I heard this car skid followed by a terrific crash, I called Tony, our gardener. We ran down the drive to the state highway. A black limousine of some fancy foreign make had taken the curve too fast, sideswept the tree, and landed half in the ditch. Glass was lying all over the road. A tall woman, dressed in black, was standing nearby and crying her eyes out. Oh, get her out of there. Oh, my poor little Camilla. For heaven's sake, get her out. She's dead. What's the matter, madam? Anything we can do? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. She's in there. Who's in there? My daughter, Carmilla. Oh, we hit something. I can't get the back door open. Well, maybe we can open it. Here, Tony, give a hand. Yes, Mr. Okay, now, Paul. Why, it opens quite easily. Oh, does it? Oh, get her out quickly, please. Yeah, here she is on the floor. Okay, Tony. Now, take it easy. All right, there. Uh, give me that other auto blanket there. We'll lay it on the grass oh, over here. Is she dead? Yeah, it just seems to have fainted. She'll be all right. Run up to the house, Tony, and get some water. Yes, Mr. Oh, I was in such a hurry. I had to get to Canada by tomorrow morning. Canada? Well, that's a good 700 miles. I know, but I've got to be there. Oh. She's opening her eyes. Carmela, speak to Mama. Are you all right? Mama, I... Where am I? Tony came back with the water and Helen. She's always been a great wonder. Help people and... Well, she fussed over the girl, gave her water, spoke nicely to her, and it wasn't any time at all before the kid was up and on her feet again. When what does the mother do but ask me a funny question? You wouldn't happen to know of a good hotel anywhere around this neighborhood, would you? Hotel? I don't want it for myself. I want it for Camilla. You mean you're not taking her with you to Canada? I don't see how I can. I've got to get there by tomorrow morning at the very latest. And she's certainly in no condition to travel. Papa, why can't she stay with us? With us? Well, yes, Papa, we've got loads of room. Oh, please, Papa, please say yes. Please do. It was an awkward moment. I Ordinarily, I don't take the strangers, but these people were well-bred, rich, and, well, Helen just begged me. Ever since her mother died, I've never been able to resist anything she ever wanted. I knew she'd been lonely out here in the country, so far from her friends, so I said yes. Goodbye, Mr. Dodge. I don't know how I shall ever thank you enough. That's all right. We'll look after her. And uh, you think you'll be back in three weeks? Oh, at the very latest. It was so kind of And uh, in case you don't come back by then, is there any way I can get in touch with you? Oh, of course. You can reach me in Canada. Just a moment, I'll give you my card. Here it is. Mrs. C. Wood, 1211, Rue d'Ange, Quebec, Canada. I haven't got the telephone number with me, but the long-distance operator will give it to you. Well, thanks. Thanks a lot. Well, goodbye and lots of luck. Goodbye. 
Goodbye, Carmela, darling. Goodbye, Mama. Bye. 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 The car drove off like a house afire. Seemed to scare even the dogs. We heard one howling far down the road long after it went by. I don't know why, but I felt depressed. But Helen was as happy as a lark about the whole thing. I'd never realized before how lonely she must have been all by herself until I saw how she acted with Carmilla. Carmilla, are you up yet? Come in. Good morning. Well, maybe I should say good afternoon. Do you know it's almost two o'clock? But I still feel tired. <laughs> you know what time Mama and I always get up at home? Five o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> Carmilla, that's a real time to get up. When the light is all soft and golden. And the sky is pale Like a sinking behind you. And the birds are going to sleep. Oh, but you miss everything if you get up that late. Oh, no, you don't. Well, come on now. I've got a million things to show you. The house and the pool and the garden. Look, Carmilla. Isn't this an adorable summer house? My mother used to like to sit here, too. Just before she died. This. Oh, Let's not talk about it. What a beautiful passion flower vine. And that's Tony's doing. He raises them. They're supposed to be very rare. Look at this flower. It's like an exquisite insect. Look at these circles of lavender. These hungry green stamens curving upward. Like claws. Tony tell me that the reason they're called passion flowers is because they're a symbol of the passion of our Lord. Silly superstition. They're really a symbol of human passion. Everything about them is wild and hungry. You know what my favorite flower is? What? The night blooming sea. I've never seen it. I have. Many times. It blooms in secret, you know. Only at night. And in utter dark. The flowers open like moons. Beautiful. I wish I could see one someday. You will. We'll go hunting for them somewhere together. Soon. Carmilla? Carmilla? Oh, it's you. Yes. You didn't tell me you played. <laughs> what a strange taste that is. What's it called? Longer. Longer. What an odd name. Yet it's somehow appropriate. It's my favorite piece. What does it remind you of? I don't know. It reminds me of moonlight. The very old stone fountain. It's cool in there. It's silvery. It's like the moonlight. Turned into silver water. The music makes me feel that way, too. Mm-hmm. A little. Yes, I, I can almost see it. The fountain and the moonlight. Can you describe it? She was a funny sort of girl, this Camilla. Romantic, temperamental, full of crazy notions. But after you were with her for a while, you couldn't help liking her. As the days went by, 
Camilla became like a regular member of our little family. And then... Well, girls, looks like you'll have to give up some of your gallivanting for a while. Oh, Papa, why? There seems to be some kind of an epidemic going around. Just been reading about it in the newspaper. What kind of epidemic? Nobody seems to know. Twelve people have died in the next county. Goodness. Did you hear that, Camilla? What is it, darling? Twelve people in the next county have just died of an epidemic. Really? Yes. Papa wants us to stay home from now on. Oh, dear, that was for our picnic tomorrow. You're planning to go on a picnic tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Maybe that wouldn't do any harm. No, but this is a picnic in the church. The Yes. Camilla was going to show me the funny old tombstone. We're going to go exploring, too. Camilla says there are a whole lot of the Wood family buried in the churchyard. She wanted to check up to see if any of them were related to us. I kept a sharp eye on them from that night on. After all, Dr. Witherspoon, Helen is all I have in the world. As for Camilla, well, I didn't want to answer for anything to that mother of hers. One night at supper, I noticed that Helen was unusually pale. Uh, Helen, what's the matter? Aren't you feeling well? You look pale. Maybe I'm just tired. I haven't been getting very much sleep lately. Bad dreams, I guess. I've been having bad dreams, too. I haven't slept a week for the last three nights. Have you, Carmilla? You never told me. I didn't want to be careful. But every night, I dream that I'm awake. Then suddenly, a great black cat jumps over the sill into my room. Well, that doesn't sound like much to me. Wait a minute. The cat begins to sleep. Slowly, up and down the room. Up and down. And as it faces, it grows larger. And larger. Until it's as big as a tiger. Suddenly it jumps up on my bed. Helen, what's the matter? Well, well nothing. I, I mean, I've been dreaming the very same thing myself. Except that the black cat seems to turn into a wolf. A horrible, mangy wolf with long, black, pointed fangs. Mr. Dodd. Did you ever hear No, It's mighty funny. Don't like the looks of it at all. Not at all. And then, Dr. Witherspoon, I consulted a physician about my daughter's health. He said she was only a little anemic. At first, I believed him. But, Dr. Witherspoon, there are things in this world about which the medical profession knows nothing. That night, after everybody had gone to bed, I was awakened by a terrible scream. It seemed to come from Helen's room. I jumped out of bed and ran down the hall. Mrs. Rod met me at the stairs. Oh, excuse my appearance, Mr. Dodge, but did you hear that scream? Yes, from Miss Helen's room. Why, the door's locked. Oh, yes, sir. Miss Helen always locks the doors at night now. Oh, heavens. Helen. Helen, are you all right? Speak to me. She doesn't answer. Knock on Miss Carmilla's door. We can get in that way. Miss Carmilla locks her door, too, sir. What? The two girls are always thinking they'll be murdered, sir. Good heavens. Helen. Wait a minute. I think I hear somebody in there. Something moving. Helen, open the door quickly, dear. Helen, what are you doing on the floor? Good heavens, there's blood over everything. Camilla. What happened to you, Helen? Why did you scream like that? I screamed because I saw Camilla covered with blood. Where? At the foot of my bed. I was having a dream about the cat again. 
I woke up and there she was standing at the foot of my bed all covered with blood. Didn't you see her run out of the room? No, dear, no, no. You must have dreamed that too. Uh, Mrs. Rod, knock on Miss Camilla's door, will you? See if she's all right. No, it's all right, dear. It's all right. Miss Camilla, are you all right? Please, dear. Oh, sir, she doesn't answer. Shall I run downstairs and get my passenger? All right, Mrs. Rodden, hurry. Something's happened to Camilla. No, 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 take it easy, dear. We'll see about Camilla in a minute. Now, now tell me, Helen, where did all this blood come from? I don't know. Blood from Camilla. Her house girl was soaked with it. Oh, I know it's in the murder. Please, Helen, now get hold of yourself, my dear. Stop crying now. You say Camilla was covered with blood? Yes. Oh, but look, dear, you must have been dreaming. There's no blood on the floor at all. I tell you, I saw her, Papa. The only blood in this room is on your pillow and your nightdress. I've got the key, sir. But first, Tony wants to speak to you. Tony? Yes, sir. He said he'd just seen Miss Carmilla. Good heavens. Please, Miss Dodge, I, I just seen Miss Carmilla five, ten minutes ago walking in the garden. In the garden? It's true, Miss Dodge. I, I swear it's Miss Carmilla. She walked like that in the garden many times. Late at night. We searched for Carmilla all night long. There was no trace of her. Her bed had not been slept in. All the doors leading into her room were locked. The one window looking out over the garden was open, but the drop to the ground below was a good 60 feet. Helen was hysterical, and of course I was just about beside myself, thinking how all this was going to sound to her mother, when suddenly, next day, just as I was calling up the local sheriff, I heard Helen's voice calling me from upstairs. I ran up, and sure enough, there was Camilla, as fresh as a daisy, sitting on the edge of Helen's bed. Oh, Mr. Dodge, what on earth is all this fuss about? Camilla, where have you been? What is this? I've been in bed. Oh, no, you haven't. Well, then, something's wrong. As far as I know, I've been sound asleep in there all night long. I just woke up half an hour ago, got up, took a shower, got dressed, Came in here to say good morning to Helen. If you think you're being funny, I may as well tell you we're in no mood for kidding. Helen has been hysterical all night. Maybe you've got a boyfriend or someone you go down to meet in the village. A boyfriend? What an idea. Oh, why not? For what other reason? Would you sneak out every night? Every night? Who says I sneak out every night? Tony the gardener. He says he's seen you plenty of times in the garden or walking down the drive. And not only that, he told me another thing. He's seen you sneaking back into the house in the morning, too. It's a lie. Papa! I don't want to hurt you, Camilla. But be frank with me. Otherwise, I'll have to take some kind of action. Papa, please. I can't have any guest of mine sneaking and prowling around the house at all hours of the night, Helen. Where did that blood on your dress come from last night? How did Camilla get out of her room? She hasn't explained one word of this to us. If she won't, well, there's nothing more to do but wire her mother. Oh, no. I swear to you, Mr. Dodge. I have nothing to tell. Perhaps you were dreaming. Perhaps we were all dreaming, even Tony. I have it. I have the solution. What is it? I'll bet... I've been walking in my sleep. Well, all things, why didn't we think of that? I haven't done it since I was a child. But it used to be a great habit with me. They used to say I had an uncanny sense of places. I could find my way through locked doors. Of course. See, Papa, I wasn't satisfied with the whole business. Too many things just didn't seem to click. The blood on Helen's pillow, the locked doors, the 60-foot jump... I still thought Camilla was holding out on me. There seemed only one thing to do. Hello, long distance, sir. Will you connect me with Quebec, please? Quebec, Canada. I'd like to speak to uh, Mrs. Seawood. 1211 Rue des Anges, Quebec, Canada. I I don't know the number. You are calling Seawood. 1211 Rue des Anges, Quebec, Canada. Yes, that's right. 
You're calling Quebec, Canada. This is Quebec. Will you connect me with a Mrs. C. Wood? 1211, Rue d'Avange, Quebec, Canada. Just one moment, please. I beg your pardon, but there is no C. Wood between 1211 Rue des Anges. Thank you. 1211 Rue des Anges is a cemetery. When I hung up that receiver, my knees were trembling. I didn't know what to think. But I had my suspicions, plenty of them. I walked into the living room. It was late afternoon. Camilla was playing the piano. Camilla? Oh. Camilla, when did you last hear from your mother? Mama? Let's see. Tell me the truth. You haven't heard from her at all. I guess not. Isn't that rather strange? Not particularly. Mama's always been lazy about writing. She's like me. But you were ill when she left. Wouldn't she want to know whether you had recovered? Oh, she knows I'm all right. Helen and I sent her a telegram. To what address? 1211 Rue des Anges, Quebec, Canada. It hasn't been returned? Of course not. That's Mama's permanent address. Camilla, you're lying to me. 1211 Rue des Anges is a cemetery. Cemetery? Yes. Don't pretend you know nothing about it because you do. You and your mother are a fine team, all right. A fine team. I don't know what you're talking about. Thought you could fool me with a phony accident, didn't you? Thought you could worm my business secrets out of me by striking up a friendship with Helen. Well, it was a smart idea, but it didn't work out, see? I've never heard of anything like this in my life. Oh, you haven't, eh? Mr. Dodge, if you think I came here after your money, you're vastly mistaken. Then explain what you were doing prowling around the house last night. I've already told you. I was walking in my sleep. What were you doing in my daughter's room? I wasn't in her room. She was dreaming. What were those bloodstains on her dress? I know nothing of bloodstains. I tell you, I, I haven't the faintest idea. I have a good mind to turn you over to the police, young lady. But I won't, for Helen's sake. Provided you leave this house at once. Mrs. Rod. But where shall I go? I know no one. I haven't any money. Yes, sir. Start packing Miss Camilla's things at once. She's yes, sir. Oh, be careful. She's got the letter open in her hand. You, <laughs> you little fool. Queered yourself that time. What the happened? Who screamed? Oh, like Helen. That? Helen, darling, your papa's going to send me away. But papa, what for? I... Oh, Papa, how could you be so unkind? Well, Carmela's my dearest friend. He, he says I've, I've lied to both of you. But I, I came here to spy on you and rob you. Papa, how could you ever think of such a thing? I'm sorry, Helen, but this is my affair. And I have every good reason to think that Camilla is not a real friend. But she's done no, nothing. I, oh, I've just so weak. Helen. <laughs> Helen. He carried Helen upstairs and called Dr. Bradley. He worked over her for two hours, but he couldn't even bring her back to her senses. She lay all that afternoon and evening in a deep coma. She didn't move, scarcely seemed to breathe. Downstairs in the living room, Camilla was playing her everlasting tune. It seemed to mock her. Finally, I couldn't stand it any longer. I stood up to call Mrs. Rodwin. Suddenly, I saw the door to Camilla's room open very soon. She came into Helen's room. She didn't speak to me. I heard her laugh. Camilla. Oh. <laughs> Good evening, Mr. Dodge. Surprised to see you. I... I thought you were playing the piano. I am. You thought you could keep me out of here, didn't you? 
You thought Helen would let me be sent away. Do you think walls or doors or locks would keep me away from Helen? No, Mr. Dodd. She's mine. Did you hear that? Mine. Oh, see how beautifully she sleeps. She's happy now. You know what she's dreaming of, Mr. Dodd? I... Helen struggling on the bed, and then one agonizing scream. I groped my way toward the bed. I could see nothing of it but a great black mass that swelled and swelled until it covered the bed like a cloud. I struck at it with my fist, but I could only hear Camilla laughing at me. This happened last night, Dr. Witherspoon. Since then, I, I've been almost crazy. I know everything now. I know that my daughter has only one chance to live. And that is? That is if we destroy this monster who is draining her strength. This, this incubus, this, this vampire. Vampire? Oh, vampires are mythical. They're like witches or ghosts. Mr. Duck, you're sure that all this hasn't been brought on somewhat by your own state of mind? My own state of mind? Good heavens, what are you insinuating, Dr. Witherspoon? Your daughter's dreadful illness. Uh, the shock, perhaps. Dr. Witherspoon, I have called you in to help me. I have given you all the evidence. There is no time to waste. Now tell me, from your antiquarian studies of the old Puritan families, what do you know about a family named Wood? Wood? I have an old portrait here my daughter picked up at a village auction just before the epidemic. It's supposed to be a picture of one of the Wood family, a mere color Wood. Helen bought it because she thought it was the image of Camilla. Here it is. Oh, yes, yes. 17th century. Most attractive. Who is this Macala Wood? Do you know anything about her? Uh, nothing very important. What is it? She was hanged on the village gallows as a witch. A witch? Dr. Witherspoon, take me to her grave. This is the old wood plot. It hasn't been used for more than a century. Oh, dear me, the grass is so very wet. Now, let me see. Josiah Wood, Ephraim Wood, Sarah Wood, Rachel Wood, beloved wife of... Oh, here it is. Mercola Wood, born 1619, died 1638. Uh, there's an epitaph here, too, but I, I can't read it. It's... Camilla. Camilla. My dear sir, this poor creature has been dead for over 300 years. You heard me? Didn't the book say that they can live forever as long as they have the blood of living things? 
Camilla. 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 The same letters. It's the same name twisted around. My dear Mr. Dodge, calm yourself. Here, come back into the car. No, no. Tony, send me that shovel. Mr. Dodge, what are you going to do? I'm going to take her out of here. I'm going to destroy her once and for all. You have no proof that the body of this poor witch is the same as this Camilla. You have no proof that this friend of your daughter's even is a vampire. Don't stop, Tony. Keep on thinking. Are you mad, sir? Vampires don't exist. They're creatures of the imagination. This is sacrilege, Mr. Dodge. I shall have to report you to the police. I struck a coffin, Miss Dodge. Thank heaven. It's getting dark. It'll be night in a few minutes. Here, give me that rope. Where are you going, Miss Dodge? Into the grave. I'll have to fold it up out of the hole. That rope's not strong enough, Miss Dodge. I'm afraid that she'll break. Then I'll smash in the lid down there. Hand me the hammer and the stick. All right, sir. What's that? Huh? Please, quick, the hammer. Yes, sir. Oh, the wood's stuck in my foot. Here, come down here. All right, Miss Take Dodge. a shovel and beat in that end while I smash open this one. All right. Not bad. Good name of all. What do you two fellas think you're doing there? Please, Sheriff, I can, I can explain everything. Just give me one minute more. Get down there, men. Take that hammer and shovel away from him. No, you... Uh, oh, my arm. Grave robbing, eh? You don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're doing. Anyway, that's what Dr. Witherspoon says. Okay, boys. Take him back to the courthouse. This is a matter of life or death, I warn you. There's a vampire lying in that coffin. A vampire. Listen to him, boys. Do you want to know who's been causing all those deaths in the village? That body lying there. It's been killing all your people one by one, living on their blood. Ah, he's cracked. Let me open the lid. I'll prove it to you. You see that tombstone? It says McCullough Wood died 1638. Died 1638, 300 years ago. That coffin should contain a handful of dust. I'll show you that it contains a body as fresh as any of us. A young girl with red hair. Take him to the courthouse, boys. We ain't got no more time to waste. For the last time, Sheriff, before it's too late. <laughs> Listen. Do you hear it? That's it. She's coming to us. Help. Out of the coffin there. Stop her. Stop her before it's too late. Give me the safe. The safe. I don't hear nothing. Come on. Oh, Mr. Dodge, sir. I, I thought you'd never come back. How's Helen? You must be brave, sir. She's gone. She passed away just about a half hour ago. While Miss Carmilla was playing the piano downstairs. Miss Carmilla? Yes, sir. She came in about an hour ago and began to play. Miss Helen heard her from her room. It seemed to soothe her. And she smiled at me. Carmilla's come back, she said. She forgives me. Tell her to come upstairs. But before I could go downstairs to get Miss Carmilla... Oh, God. Oh, oh, my God. And now, if you'll excuse me, sir, I'll, I'll just go in and tell Miss Carmilla now. Oh. Someone ought to tell her before very long. She loves Miss Helen. have heard the Columbia Workshop's presentation of Carmilla, a story by Sheridan Lefanu, adapted for radio by Lucille Fletcher. 
The entire production was under the direction of Earl McGill. The part of Mr. Dodge was played by Bill Johnstone, Carmilla by Jeanette Nolan, Helen by Joan Tetzel. Other members of the cast were Effie Palmer, Maurice Franklin, Peter Capel, Gladys Thornton, Tom Tully, Gene Colbert, and Neil O'Malley. Next week, the workshop presents a radio production of two poems of America Today, the work of two of our best-known contemporary poets looking at our country at this moment in our history. The poems are a verse sequence by E.B. White and Nightmare at Noon by Stephen Vincent Benet. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. That was Carmilla from the Columbia Workshop here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. I'm Joshua. I will start. This was my pick. Um, I ran across this by accident um, and listened to it and went, oh, man, I am so submitting this for the podcast. Um, And then, of course, again, because, you know, I don't know a lot of things. Come to find out, oh... Carmilla is a well-known novella, and everybody in the whole, I don't know, Twilight vampire craze, you know what I'm saying, (laughs) is very familiar with Carmilla, and she appears in a lot of things and blah, 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 but not knowing that, not being part of the vampire craze and not being on Peter's team or Dave's team or whatever you're supposed to do with the Twilight series or whatever okay, the names were. <laughs> I don't know team, what we were talking about go, for a second. Go yes. Team Anthony. Go Team Larry. Larry, yeah. yes. You're uh, like a fan of a group of plumbers is what it sounds like. <laughs> but when I did my research, I found it really fascinating. 1871 that this is written, the first real vampire novella or long story or whatever you want to call it is is female uh not bram stoker's dracula i did not know that i thought bram stoker started the whole thing based on myths and going back to old ideas and kind of put those together turns out he took a lot from this didn't you play varney the vampire in a play yes <laughs> with you guys yes <laughs> that preceded that's based uh, on penny dreadfuls but, but that was a penny dreadful from the turn of the century from like the 1900s, was it? This is Victorian era, yeah. so it they? might be yeah. around the same time as Carmilla, so, or very close. Okay, so my assumption was the Penny Dreadfuls were popular around like 1890s to about 1920. I thought that was the era for them, but they were earlier than that. A little earlier than that. Okay, I do. Say, I want to say like I knew the character Carmilla, but I never knew the actual source story. I never knew what Carmilla's story was. Good. So I was very glad you, you uh, gave us this one. Yeah, I've never read Carmilla. No, I didn't know of its existence. And again, somehow I had it in my head that all of this uh, fairy tale, urban legend, myth, whatever of vampires was kind of just compiled by Bram Stoker. But it turns out he took a lot from a lot of different things, including yeah. this Carmilla uh, yeah. story, which really was the basis for a lot of the lore of what a vampire is. Mm-hmm. Um, Animal transformations are in here. Yeah. And uh, the, the sleepwalking, sleepwalking, doesn't he use? Yep, sleepwalking I think Bram Stoker uses a sleepwalking. Yep. Well, and that, that storyline of picking out a, a victim and just sort of sidling up to them and, and mm-hmm. slowly turning that person to another vampire or killing them. or The work involved to befriend and get their trust instead of just... Taking the blood and moving on. It would be as if one of you guys, like, all of a sudden, well, now you trust me. And- if one of us all of a sudden started talking about going for walks in the dark <laughs> right. where the flowers open and moonlight all over my body. So that would be weird. <laughs> I also want to tell our listeners that we know that there were parts of that when Carmilla talks that are difficult to listen to. Hopefully you found the patience to throw on headphones. I did take the recording and made it a lot better. 
Uh, so that's about as good as I can get it. And your voice as Carmela was impeccable. <laughs> Long what? You like the song? You taught it to me. This song reminds me of me. <laughs> I'm a piano player, see? Um, I don't know why my impression of me is that. <laughs> yeah, I, I know why. <laughs> that's what you sound like. <laughs> Speaking of the piano... I think that someone owes Quiet Please some royalties. Did it <laughs> yeah. not yeah. sound like the same piano from the opening to Quiet Please? It sounded yes. very similar. That same sort yeah. of melancholy, slightly ominous, but in this sort of yeah. I loved it. non-threatening ominous. <laughs> and she calls it. Walk. She calls it the Longuer, is yeah. the, the name of the piece. And, and she says, oh... That's interesting, but somehow fitting. And I was like, what, what, what? What are we talking? So I had to go look it up. Yeah. Longuer is French for a tedious passage in a book or other work. And I was like, oh, that's really cool, because that piece just repeats itself mm-hmm. over and over. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved the device of the piano. Especially at the very end when he comes in and says, I, I thought you were playing the piano. And she goes, I am. It's crazy. <laughs> I love That's one of my favorite moments in this whole thing. It's another it's just awesome. pure radio moment. Or you're, yeah. you're piecing it all together in your imagination. And then you suddenly go, oh, that isn't piano music that's outside the story. It's yeah. inside the story. And, she is, and she's got vampire piano playing powers. Maybe she should think of a different profession. <laughs> so I finally figured out, third time listening to it, as you guys know, I miss things from time to time. So uh, I wanted She to was sh- a vampire, Eric. <laughs> what? <laughs> Shut up. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I figured out something finally. Why, why does she have to get to Canada? What's going on? And I knew that her address given was a graveyard. Oh, she's trying to get home to her grave before sunrise. Mm-hmm. That's. Yeah. It finally occurred to me because I was like, is this a health care issue? Do you have to get to Canada <laughs> by morning? Why are you? Who was president in 1948? <laughs> was that an issue? <laughs> I got to get to Canada. <laughs> but like the sunset, she puts Carmilla in a car. They drive 70 miles Crashed, hoping, hoping that someone would find them. Yes, and like, tick-tock, got to drive back to Canada. But they didn't crash. The car's in a ditch. You know, the door opens easily and all of that. So oh, they didn't, right. she didn't they... really even wreck her car. Here's the other question. Why are vampires driving? Don't they become bats? But it, yeah, it's. I guess my, my question is, why can't Carmilla find a home near the cemetery? There's a good question. I was trying to... No, I didn't try. I thought before we had this podcast recording, I should look up what that sort of bird is that will sort of hide its egg in the nest of other birds. Oh, yeah. Because that's what was going through my mind and listening to this of sneaking your child. And that's the the underlying fear of taking a stranger. But I didn't look it up. So someone who's smarter than me might say, <laughs> it's this kind of bird. It's the, the sparrow. <laughs> is it the sparrow? It's no. the robin. <laughs> Jerk bird. <laughs> Vulture, but I understand what you're saying. That's yes. that's what I felt was going on. Something where she was just basically seeding vampires, right? Mm. She had to get back to her cemetery. Um, her daughter's a vampire. Let's let her handle this territory. I got Canada covered, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, I enjoyed the build to this. I wish I would have been handed this and Carmilla, and not had to write the introduction and do all this research and be the guy that I recommended this. It's much more fun when you guys just give me one and I listen to it because I would have been 
pleasantly surprised to find out she was a vampire. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I didn't, yeah. If I didn't know that ahead of time, and hopefully some of our listeners didn't, you know, because I, I don't know if we gave it away in the intro. I don't think we did. I think we did. But You, uh, you said it explicitly in the intro. Oh, yeah, Bram Stoker's Dracula, <laughs> yes. But there's that idea, though, that if you don't know that, the reveal would come to you the same way it came to her dad. Well, I was just thinking, we, we've had a number of podcasts, uh, episodes we've listened to, that really dig into parent-child relationships, both the Velt and Good Die Young, and the, uh, and the werewolf, actually. But this right. dilemma of, I want to do what's best for my child, but I want to make my child happy. And th- those two things are sometimes totally at odds. There's also, I was just realizing you were saying it, most of them have no mother, father-daughter. And, and that no anxiety mother, that's of... an interesting thing, too. I well, even I think a... explicitly said in this one that... Being in that situation makes him like, I can't deny her anything. Because she right. doesn't have a mother. She doesn't have anyone right. to talk to um, because he's just a man. He can't talk <laughs> to his daughter. <laughs> but it right? is that, that, that idea, particularly, I think, when Carmilla was originally written. And obviously, Lucille Fletcher is updating this. Yep. And he's clearly a, a wealthy guy who maybe doesn't know how to interact with his daughter. Because he says something along the lines, well, I like these guys right away when he meets the vampire and her daughter. Like, they seemed like of good stock and rich. So I liked him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. So he, he's clearly of, of a certain upper echelon and maybe feels really remote when it comes to communicating with his daughter. But clearly, uh, and Bill Johnstone does a great job of like portraying how much he does care. That was a stumbling block for me, though, man. And it's not the story's fault as I just heard the shadow because I've heard so much shadow. <laughs> it was just like I just thought the shadow was going to come in and just take care of that vampire lady. <laughs> Let me clear something up that just occurred. Did not know that was Bill Johnstone until you just said it. For listeners who don't know, he played the shadow for yep. a very long period of time. Yeah. Uh, and th- he was the best, shadow, <laughs> in my opinion. But He does uh, a great job in this, too. Yeah, I'm not I, knocking but him. But now just, that you say that, I went, oh, that's where I've heard that voice before. Yeah, so it did not distract me because okay. I didn't know. So I'm sorry that happened to you. But yeah, yeah. if you would have told me Bill Johnstone, I probably would have been, well, hello, Margo. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've got a couple small complaints. All right, All right. let's hear them. Uh, this antiquarian who is asking him, like, what do you know about this uh, this woman, Wood, who died? Like, oh, nothing. Oh, she was hung as a witch. Like, that's, <laughs> that's something. That is something. Definition. That's huge. That's an item of note. And then later, he keeps insisting, you know, you can't dig up this witch's body. That's sacrilege. I don't know how this witch is buried in a cemetery with other people. I, mean, <laughs> I think they forfeit that, don't yeah, they? Yeah, I think it's okay to dig up witches' bodies. I'm going to go with you on that, Tim. I think that... Uh... Not like modern Wiccans. Sorry if that's... But, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean. Fictitious witches. Stop emailing. <laughs> don't even save it as a draft. <laughs> I think some of that comes from the fact that Fletcher, in her updating, gives this this dark, noir ending that the book does not have. I looked this up because I was really curious. I've not read the book. This ends differently than the book. The book, uh, they kill Carmilla. Do they not? Oh, oh, yes. They kill Carmilla, and his daughter lives. She's kind of unwell, and she doesn't totally get out of it, but there's like a vampire hunter character that's kind of a prototype of Van Helsing. And here we have more of a noir treatment of it that I think is is interesting if you follow the rest of Lucille Fletcher's work that right. the police haul the father away like he's crazy from the grave and won't let him dig up the body and mm-hmm. finds his daughter dead and it's this really dark ending I think that's interesting that her idea of updating it to a modern setting is having it have an awful ending I loved the not happy ending so 
is Carmilla just live with him now? <laughs> it seems to imply that because the yeah. maid says, you know, I'll go tell Miss Carmilla now. She's going to be really upset. And she's, like, she's yeah, oblivious or under her spell or something like that. And he's got a new daughter now. Creepy. Yeah. <laughs> Why do we listen to these? Oh, man. <laughs> I loved the woman playing Carmilla's laugh. Yeah. Yep. I, it really well done. Oh, the piano playing, the resurfacing of that reminded me of the baby crying and the thing that cries in the night. Every time the piano started playing, it filled me with, every time, more and more dread. It's just an mm-hmm. audio cue of her presence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the song is weirdly creepy, and her just sitting in there playing that same song over and over again. And, and then it escalates, as Joshua said, to a really nice, I am playing the piano. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's probably the best part of the whole, yeah. whole yeah. thing right there. I also liked the the description of her attack of that became the sort of black mist covering the bed. <laughs> yeah. Weird yeah. and creepy. I uh, did you know we did our research on the uh, Columbia Workshop and when it started in the 30s, the idea was to prove to a young fledgling FCC that we can do things that are educational and productive and be something that's good for society, you know, mm-hmm. like not yep. just entertainment. And so the first 10 years a CBS workshop was doing, or a Columbia workshop was doing um, things not like this. A director that took over in 1939 or something like that started to do more dramatic and traditional kind of pieces. But they still allowed a lot of freedom to say, what else can radio do? That's what yep. the whole the word workshop was in there. What else can you do? The one story that came out of it is in this building, they were recording these. There was an air conditioning unit that kept going on in one of the studios and uh, drove them crazy until one day a sound engineer got the idea to put a microphone in the uh, air conditioning when it went on and Flash Gordon's uh, spaceship was born. <laughs> oh, wow, they recorded that's really it cool. and, they, and it made a cool noise. Uh, also, Columbia Workshop invented the way to pe- make people sound like they were on a telephone. And it was engineers dismantling microphones and Hmm. taking out certain components and realizing that they could control a microphone at different levels and make it do different things because these engineers were like, yeah, take it apart. See what else a microphone can do. A lot of the things that they found screwing around with Mm -hmm. this freedom, like I said, were very instrumental in radio like uh, Flash Gordon's (laughs) spaceship, (laughs) but other things that became... a lesbian vampire invented mm. Flash Gordon's rocket ship. I just want to get that out on the internet. Yes, you should. So there's see like the na- six band names in that sentence. <laughs> you should see the 1984 VHS movie of that. <laughs> well, what do we think? Uh, I will start since I picked it. I was really happy when I heard this. I will say that I'm biased because my biggest fear in horror and suspense and all of that, is vampires. It, uh, I have a really difficult time with vampire movies. Uh, they scare the bleep out of me, uh, and that's the thing that triggers me, hmm. that something's going to come into my bedroom and bite my neck, and, and they, they can transform, and there's just something about them. So uh, this scared me legitimately, and I loved everything about it. That's funny, because... That's my roadblock. I find absolutely nothing scary about vampires. I <laughs> really? Not at all. I don't really? know. And, you know, it's not a, how can people find vampires scary? I don't I don't know what it is. They, they do nothing for That's me. That's how I, I feel about zombies. They do not scare me. 
I intellectually appreciate this, but it, it didn't work on a visceral level for me. I appreciated the adaptation. I appreciated the performances. I can say it intellectually stands the test of time, but it didn't really do much for me other than that. Right. And I blame vampires. <laughs> I think I'm somewhere in the middle of, of that. I think Guys, it's... we should make a podcast. We're like the perfect trio. <laughs> we should make a sandwich. Um, I, I typically am also on that same page with vampires. Philip Andrew Bennett Lowe, friend of the podcast, I once had a conversation about Dracula. and His opinion matched mine. It's a very scary book. Right up until Van Helsing comes in and explains everything about vampires, and it just destroys the mystery. <laughs> and then vampires are just this task. You have to, like, well, first you have to put a stake through their heart and then cut off their head, which they don't do in Dracula. Which I'm off on a tangent here, but <laughs> <laughs> you establish the rules and you don't do them. But I think part of it is this predates the standard vampire formula, which means it can be interesting and surprising and different. Uh, and intriguing and mysterious, uh, and I liked it a lot for that. And I think what makes a vampire story successful, as opposed to many other stories, is they are a very personal sort of monster. Carmilla specifically is attached to this one person. There's not; it's not a huge uh, peril at stake here. It's this one person that she's going to destroy, and then theoretically others beyond that. But it's not destroy a city. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to care about that one person and the the stakes of losing that person, which right. this story does well. So I think it's a very good story. I don't know I would go quite so far as classic, but I think it's excellent. I've also found, you know, in the traditional Dracula story or other vampire stories, the women vampires that are following the male the vampire brides, around, yes. right? I find them more terrifying than the Dracula. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I don't know what it nope, is. Nope, I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> don't like it. Slept until I was 12 years old. I had to have a blanket over my neck. Oh, <laughs> yep. wow, this goes back It far. goes back. This is an issue you're having. <laughs> well, it started with, oh yeah, my brother's much older than me, and he was in Dracula on stage, and I was nine and went to see it. Oh, and he and played it traumatized Renfield. you. There are two things that legitimately scared me and scarred me. Dracula and then uh, the Amityville Horror. Because they told me at 11 it was true. (laughs) (laughs) And I had no reason to doubt them. All right. Well, thank you for listening. And uh, if you'd like to learn more about this podcast, please visit ghoulishdelights.com. You'll find other episodes of this podcast you can listen to. You'll also find information about our live shows. If you're in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, you can see us performing this September and October at the James J. Hill Center. You can also go to iTunes and write a review of this podcast. Uh, and if you don't feel like writing a review, you could send us an email and tell us if you like the show. Make a recommendation. Tell us who's right or vampire. Scary, not scary. Kind of in between Tim scary. Let us know where you land on that. In between Tim is scary. <laughs> Our next episode will be number 53, and we turn it over to Tim. We'll be returning to CBS Mystery Radio Theater. Do I have yeah. Radio Mystery Theater. Yeah. Those backwards. Uh, for an episode entitled The Great Brain. Until then. Look out! I thought you were playing the piano. <laughs> I am. Quiet, please. Uh...